Our New Testament reading is from Paul's letter to the Romans in the second chapter, beginning at verse 13 and continuing through verse 16. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles, who do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts, sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares, writes Paul. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. And our Old Testament reading this morning is a single verse from the book of Proverbs, the 29th chapter, verse 18. This is the King James translation of that passage. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. The book of Proverbs. It's a collection of short, pithy sayings about a particular way of life, a particular way of living. Whether they were all written by a single author, King Solomon, as tradition holds, or whether they were a compendium of, from a number of ancient sources, that remains up for debate. But whether there was one or many contributors to this collection, this much can be agreed upon, far-ranging as the instructions for a happy life are in this book, they remain tied to the notion that wisdom comes from God and that the wise person seeks to know and to follow God's law for the ordering of human life. The goal of understanding and following the covenantal statutes was a paragon of virtue to the author or the authors, and such a life is held up as a vision of successful living. Successful living. That happens to be the title of a class that our girls have taken as part of their homeschool program, and it is one that, unsurprisingly, is based on the framework of the book of Proverbs. Well, this morning, we heard read a single one of these pithy sayings from the book, one that does, I think, an admirable job of summarizing the theme of the collection of advice about successful living. This snippet is about vision. And the author touts the vital role that it plays for not just the life of an individual, 
but also for the life of the whole community, the people, as he writes. Again, the reference is to a vision that begins with the knowledge of and obedience to God's word. And to quote a more contemporary author who has lyrically written, uh, the beginning is a very fine place to start. I had announced a few weeks ago that I was going to be devoting many of my upcoming sermons to the basic tenets of the faith, and there are very few that I can think of off the top of my head that are more basic than this. For as a people of God, the knowledge and consequences of being a people of God has been for us a most fundamental part of our identity since the days of Abraham. And that is going back further even than the days of McCammy. In the opening chapter of the book of Proverbs, our ancient teacher notes that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. When in this morning's Old Testament reading, he speaks of a necessary vision for the people, this is that to which he refers. Without a focus on God and his laws, humanity is lost. Without vision, obviously, we're blind. We are lost. We are wandering sheep. No less true than it was back then, the people need a vision. When Jesus came on the scene, he knew that things hadn't changed since the days of Adam. We read how his mission and his ministry sought to heal, to save, to reconcile the people with their God. God was still to be the focus in their lives, and now, here in Jesus, was a new self-revelation of that God, which people could refocus their vision upon. He reiterated that love for and obedience to God the Father was paramount, and he directed the people to love others by inviting them into the fellowship of those who shared this vision. It's been 50 weeks now since I stood here and invited us all to begin a season of prayer and discernment, seeking a reformation of this historic and steadfast church and her present congregation, asking God to direct us to new understandings and dynamic expressions of our ministry and mission in the future. I guess you could say, though I didn't at the time, what I was petitioning for was for a fresh vision for this community of faith. And while I wouldn't say that there has been tremendous clarity all of a sudden on this front, either on my part or on the part of the session or on the part of those of you who've been in communication with me in any number of ways, what I can say is that the historic vision of this church has not changed with the times or the circumstances around us. As far as I'm concerned, that's a very good thing. We're still in the business of making strong disciples and caring for folks both nearby and neighbors 
at a great distance, even as far afield as Romania. Some of the ways that we go about doing these things has changed over the years, even as the gospel message that is at their core has not changed. As we enter now the second decade of the second millennium, the pace of change in our world seems to have increased exponentially. Our prayers for discernment and for direction may have become even more fervent as the social, financial, political, and healthcare structures and norms have come under intense pressures. As we watch these things unfold all around us, we continue to wonder, what do we do? How do we respond in faith? Crucial to a way forward is the power and the action of the Holy Spirit. But also vital, I believe, is the ongoing clarity of vision on God's Word and our faithful response. In the days of the 50 weeks since we entered into this season of prayer and discernment, one thing, at least, is becoming gradually clearer to me, and that is that a long obedience in the same direction is more than just the title of a book by Eugene Peterson that was required reading back in my seminary days. It is a way of life for the people of God, which both binds us to God and to one another, despite all those forces around us that would work to weaken that resolve. Another thing that is becoming clearer to me is that the manner in which we engage in the mission and the ministry of this church must and indeed is beginning to change. Now, where it's going to ultimately take us, I don't know. But as I noted last week, all we really need to know is what the proximal goal is. To use a nautical metaphor, we just need to get to the next waypoint along our charted path. And the next waypoint doesn't have to be that far distant. It can be as close as the next bend in the river. There can be very many waypoints plotted for our passage. We have a vision. We have a vision of the safe harbor to which we are ultimately headed. So we can focus our attention on the vision necessary to take each of these small intermediate steps along the way. Now, I have to admit, I have not had a Damascus Road experience lately where the risen Lord came to me, took a two-by-four to my head, and knocked me off of my donkey. In fact, I I can't say that I've even had a a Coventry Parish Road experience lately, whatever that might look like. But what has been happening is that I have felt some stirring, some persistent sense of pull or push toward paying attention to and an increasing awareness of how other Christians are adapting in their own settings to this unprecedented array of challenges that face us now in 2020. 
I know that the vision of God front and center is non-negotiable to the church, holy, apostolic, and universal. I know that Jesus is the one who has saved us and who has commissioned us all for service in his name. I know that this congregation has done some remarkable things in her 348 years together. I know that we are doing some remarkable things in this day too. And with all this in mind, I would ask all of you to walk with me toward a vision that leads to the next waypoint, the next bend of the river on our shared journey. I know it might sound a bit at this point like the opening to a capital campaign kickoff, but I assure you that is not what this morning is about. What it is is simply an attempt to provide that which the author of Proverbs deemed essential for the health and the well-being of the people of God, that is vision. We've been over the firm foundation that grounds us and the faithful history that undergirds us, so let's consider briefly what lies ahead. One thing that I can see that lies ahead is a whole lot of change. Now that can be a scary thing, especially within the context of an organization that has been in the faith business for three and a half centuries or so, but I suspect that since the time of McKemi, some changes have taken place here at Rehoboth. Uh, I can name a few for you. We have stained glass windows now here in the sanctuary at Rehoboth. They were added in the 19th century, the Victorian era, and they add a, an air of, of color and of beauty. Uh, we have electricity now, which was added in the 20th century, uh, which is a welcome addition. We have better lighting as a result. We have air conditioning as a result. We have an organ now, a fairly recent addition to the worship on our Sunday weekly services, and a, a welcome addition, I might add. We have changed our hymnals more than once, and of course, y'all have changed ministers, something on the order of more than 40 times now. And still, somehow, the church has survived. In fact, the church has thrived throughout the years. What we face in our time is even more change. It's going on within and around the church. So whether we like it or not, we're left with little choice but to adapt some more of our practices. Some of them have already been altered, and more are doubtless going to be. Our worship practices and our mission and ministry practices are beginning to evolve 
And there is going to be more of that coming down the line. We are on the cusp of introducing electronic giving as an option to our members and our friends as well. We are communicating with our mission partners in new ways. And these methods will continue to evolve. We are moving away from a reliance on word of mouth on a Sunday morning to communicate important information to the membership as they are more dispersed than ever before. We are learning ways of reaching out to more brothers and sisters than we ever have before with the words and especially with the music that celebrates the good news of the gospel. So I'm beginning to sense a vision of this church as holding firm to our identity in Christ while adapting means and methods to build community and to foster mission and ministry in his holy name. As the congregation and or friends of this church, I invite each and every one of you to continue to inquire to the Spirit of God Petitioning for a clearer vision. A clearer vision for the future of this church. A clearer vision for the next waypoint. A clearer vision to the route to the next bend in the river. What I have sketched out is the most basic of frameworks for getting this ship of ours to that place. But it is for now, I hope, Sufficient, along with our vision of who God is and what He has done for us, even if we don't live to see an arrival at the promised land of the church of Rehoboth, the people shall not perish. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.